You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Welcome to Justice is Served. My name is Sarah Azari, and I'm a criminal defense attorney and white-collar defense attorney here in Los Angeles. And I'm going to be your host today, together with Lonnie Coombs, who's a familiar face to all of you. Lonnie, welcome. Great. And for those of you who are not familiar with Lonnie, she's a former deputy district attorney in Los Angeles, and she's also an author who recently released a book titled You're Perfect and Other Lies That Parents Tell. It's on Amazon. And um, she is also a legal analyst, analyst who regularly appears here and on CNN. So with that, I think we can get started. Great. All right. So um, our first segment is... Uh, the case of the week, um, and we're going to cover uh, the little whooping uh, that um, Adrian Peterson pled guilty to earlier this week. So, Lonnie, um, Adrian Peterson in September was indicted on um, child abuse charges, mm-hmm. felony child abuse in Texas. And last Tuesday, he pled guilty to a misdemeanor, I think, reckless assault. Um far different from his exposure on the felony charge. I understand that the felony carried $10,000 fine, two years in state prison, and I'm sure that he would have lost um, his position in the NFL. And um, instead, he got two years probation, uh, $4,000 fine, and um, some community service. What are your thoughts on corporal punishment and that line between child abuse and parental discipline? Yeah, so this case is really interesting, I think, and it brought up two issues, um, which is why it made all the headlines. One was, what's the NFL going to do with this? Because it was right in the middle of the Ray Rice scandal when the NFL was kind of bungling how they were handling that. And the second thing was the parenting issue, and a lot of people started speaking out saying, look, this is child abuse, which is why it was filed as a felony. And other people just as strongly said, this is the way we discipline our children Mm -hmm. and you know how dare you come in and tell us that we can't do this and this is the way my mother disciplined me my grandmother on and on and on um and it became quite a touchy subject for a lot of people. Right. Um, now, as far as the official stance in Texas, they actually went so far as to say, you know, we delineate between the types of weapons that the parents use. You know, if it's just a, 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 a their hand or a bat, not a bat, a, you know, their hand Cord or, or yes, board or yeah, that that was okay. But if they used a, 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 no, the cord was not okay. not okay, right? Yeah, the electrical cord or a switch or something like that was not okay. So uh, it, it was very interesting to see how defensive people got about, look, this is the way we handle our discipline. Now, the United States is an interesting country in that we still allow parents to discipline their children mm-hmm. um, physically in the home. 
Most countries have already outlawed that. Mm -hmm. None. Zero tolerance. Um, And I would just point out, for those who say, look, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way I'm going to do it. I turned out fine. Let's look at the studies. Because the studies are very clear on the effect that this has on the kids. The negative effects are undeniable. Spanking inhibits the learning process of children. Um, It also leads to anger, depression, violence, alcohol abuse, and drug abuse. It breeds hostility towards authority, undermines trust between the parent and child, and it also causes other antisocial behaviors. And it even can affect um, these kids as adults. They suffer more cardiovascular disease and obesity. So there are really long-term impacts from this. And parents will say, yeah, but it, it does have an effect. It'll make them stop. It'll stop the behavior. It'll you know immediately teach them the lesson. It does, for the short term, stop the behavior. But for the long term, it causes a lot of negative impacts. So as a parenting expert, as someone looking at the studies, there's no answer other than to say, don't do it. There are so many other ways to be able to discipline your children, to be able to teach them those lessons other than resorting to the spanking or the violence. Taking away privileges, rewarding, yes, things of absolutely. that sort. absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing is, you know, it was like smoking. We all learned, you know, in the last decade, especially how dangerous smoking is for our right. bodies, how bad it is for our health. And we don't sit there and say, well, that my mother did it and my grandmother did it. It was okay for them, so it's okay for me. We're saying, no, I want to do better for myself. I want to be more healthy. I want to live longer. Let's say that for our kids, we want to put them in the best possible position to succeed as adults. This is one way that it's very clear we can help. There's other things, obviously, that go into the children. It's not just whether you spank them or not that's going to determine how they turn out as adults. But it's one way to put your kids ahead. I mean, parents are so involved now with trying to put their kids in the best schools, you know, um, get them in the best physical health and psychological health. So this is one way that's very easy to change through a few parenting techniques to really help your children in a more positive way. Yeah, and in California, I think our standard is the jury instructions say that it has to be reasonable. And so it's Mm -hmm. up to the jury to determine, um, you know, and perhaps the type of um, instrument used, like in Texas, that that might be one factor that goes into whether it's reasonable or not. Yeah. Um, well, they also look at the injuries, and honestly, yeah. in this case, there were some serious injuries. I mean, his son, who was four years old at the time, suffered cuts, marks, bruisings to his thigh, back, and to one of his testicles. So yeah. that's why you got a felony charge out of this. And the fact that it reduced down to a misdemeanor, you know, kind of goes to the fact that people have a hard time, you know, jumping into the homes and saying, this is where we're going to draw the line and this is what's okay and, the, and what's not. So I think they kind of backed off and said it's his first time. The judge said he showed remorse. He um, was apologetic and said, I want to do better. He's going to take parenting classes, classes right. which is very important. But then the question is, what happens with the NFL? Right, right. It sounds like he's going to make it back in. but Oh, I did want to point out this. Okay, so Texas, because I wanted to make sure this was accurate. The Texas Attorney General's Office said that belts and brushes are accepted as legitimate disciplinary tools, while electrical or phone cords, boards, yardsticks, ropes, and shoes and wires are more likely to be considered uh, weapons of abuse. I just think it's sad that we even have to make that delineation. I just think there's better ways to, to help your kids learn a lesson. So, and, and the NFL question still up in the air. I think that, you know, Goodell has to 
step back and look at the big picture here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's uh, Adrian's been on suspension with pay this entire time. Um, his team wants him back. His coach wants him back. They all say he's a great guy. But Godell right now realizes that he is setting precedent because everybody is saying, what is your policy? So in this situation, okay, Adrian went. He, he was suspended during the time that the case was pending. Now the case is resolved. Um, he's not going to jail. It's just a misdemeanor. And, and so now what do you do with that? Do you now allow him back in? I also um, heard that it's some kind of a, it almost sounds to me like some kind of a diversion where even though he pled yes. to the misdemeanor, he can avoid the finding of guilt, yes. which is interesting because I don't know what the NFL policy is, but if it's based on a conviction, sounds like he can earn a dismissal. Yes, which I, I'm sure is why his attorneys fought for that because right. usually you just come in and plead, but they actually, the court, the way they deferred a finding of guilt, guilt for two right. years. So in our terms, that's what it sounds to us like a diversion where you come in, you um, do the program they want you to do, and then if you stay you know, out of trouble for two years, then they'll essentially dismiss the case. Right. So you have it's nothing a, on your it's record. It's like you've earned a dismissal yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Okay, should we move on to On the Docket? So the next um, case that we're covering is uh, one that's been in the headlines for quite a while now. And uh, Brittany Maynard, Maynard, I'm sure many of you have heard her name, this young uh, woman who, uh, in the prime of her life, finds out that she has um, a a brain tumor, um, brain cancer, and... uh, did something I think was very courageous. So on New Year's Day, she'd been getting headaches. She was trying to have a baby. She went to the doctor, and they found out that she had brain cancer. So she did some of the treatments. They went in and operated, and then in April, they said, you know what? Nothing we can do. You've got six months to live. Meanwhile, you can do all this radiation, and it's going to have all these horrible effects, um, and you know it could essentially lose all your cognitive stuff, and then your, your your body will die. So she, you know, spent all this time trying to figure out what different solutions there were, uh, did all this research, and she realized there's nothing. There's no treatment anywhere around the world. So she decided she wanted to make the choice of how she was going to die, how she was going to um, live the rest of her life. And so she found a state, Oregon, which will allow her to make that choice of how she's going to die. And she moved there with the support of her husband and her um, parents. Um, And she set a date. She Mm -hmm. said, November 1st is the date I'm going to do it. If I feel better after that, I'll go ahead and, you know, maybe extend it a little bit longer, but, but that's the date I'm going to aim for. And sure enough, on November 1st, she did do it. And she, uh, you know, posted out a, a last posting about it. Now, What's interesting, people don't really know what this means, this, uh, you know, uh, assisted suicide. Essentially, what uh, there's five states that allow this, some form of this. It's Oregon, Washington, Montana, Vermont, and New Mexico, um, which allows a person who has a terminal illness to go to a doctor and get a prescription. And then they administer it to themselves. The doctor does not administer it. And essentially, they go unconscious in five minutes, and then they um, pass away in 25 minutes. And it's a fairly painless process. Um, And usually, the people that do this um, tell their family. 95% of their uh, people tell their family. They have a goodbye process. Um, And and what they say is that the best part of it is that it gives them a feeling of control mm-hmm. over those last mm-hmm. moments in their life. And a number of people, in fact, the majority of the people who actually apply for this and get the prescription don't even use it. But they say that just having that choice in their hands, knowing that that prescription was right there, that they could take it at any time that they needed to, gave them a sense of relief and control and um 
peace there at the end of their lives. So, um, and it's also interesting, I'll ask you if you know, well, I guess you probably do because you've read this too. Uh, in 1997 is when the law was passed in Oregon. From then mm-hmm. until now, 800 people have done it, have actually taken the... Um, in Oregon. Yes, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mean age for, no, the median age for it is 71. So Brittany was definitely on the younger side. Yes, an anomaly, which I think is why, because you look at her, she looks so young and vital. I think that's why it really got a lot of people's attention. It's like, well, how could you do this, you know, when you're so young? But towards the end, she you could see her deteriorating. She her face was bloated up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could definitely see the physical Changes. manifestation of, yeah. of her disease. So, and God knows what pain she was in that mm-hmm. we just can't visibly yeah. um, see. But uh, very sad. But I think. If that was me, that's what I would want. Um, and, I, you know, the the uh, response of these um, fanatic sort of religious groups has been, how could she possibly do this? Um, uh, why wouldn't she just live with the hope of getting better? And she's now setting a precedent for um, other uh, terminally ill people who are going to follow her lead and do this. And, you know, my response is like, come on, we're talking about people who I don't want to say should lose hope, but... The reality is that the, these are these are terminally ill people with irreversible tumors and diseases that are very very painful, and I think this is this this should be their right to exercise. Um, and I'm very surprised that only five states have passed mm-hmm. laws like Oregon. Well, it's not just the religious groups; it's also the medical profession. The, right, I mean, a right. lot of doctors and right. medical associations have come out saying, "Look, this is irresponsible. Doctors should never help right. people die, and we're totally against." this and there's always a possibility and some people just do it because they're feeling depressed but then they feel better and they you know maybe would regret it which you know I say look uh, let's be honest about that too sick people right keep the hospitals and the doctors in business it, absolutely it's a huge and where is that cure business. to cancer yeah. there is none exactly. really so yeah um, and I think yeah that's why the medical medical profession gets defensive it's yeah. partly financial and partly you know there's no cure to cancer we all know that unfortunately and um, and I think these these people need to have that that sense of control over their their destiny um, one thing that um, Brittany said was I don't want to die but I am dying mm-hmm. um, and I want to die on my own terms and I think that was the most powerful thing yeah and she said I'm not suicidal I mean right, people right, just assume yeah. I, want, I want to commit no I don't want to it's already happening but to it's me happening my body to me, right? is killing me exactly yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's a good, and you know, for her to be able to ste- step up and do this while she was still so vital and eloquent and she was not losing her facilities. But, you know, for those of us, you know, who are those who sit there and say, well, no, this should not be allowed by law, you know, help somebody who's dying. Right. Take care of someone close to you and it, the, who goes through a horrible prolonged illness you know in so much pain there's no quality of life there there's None, no yeah. you know sense of control or dignity mm-hmm. you know so who are we to step in and say no they should still stay alive and it's interesting because a lot of the people that are against this are people who say well wait a minute you think so little of our relationship that you're going to leave it I mean, it's more selfish about right. them it's not like, about how you. Could you do this yeah right right I mean, think of the person who's going through it, it should be their decision yeah. it's interesting that there's been eight 
800 of these just in Oregon um, because I was reading, I, I, it, you know, this took me back to Dr. Death, Dr. Kevorkian mm-hmm. in the 90s. And I was just curious because I, I remember he died in, um, he died in custody, I think. He was mm-hmm. in custody when he died. And I, and I was just curious about how many he assisted. And um, it was a lot less than I thought. It's 130 um, suicides. But, um, this just seems like it, it just makes so much sense. You know, it just and, does. And people don't have to do it. If you don't like it, don't do it yourself. You know, um, but it, but you know, and the, for the families who say, well, I don't want my family member doing that. The families who went through this actually did a little better than the ones who uh, the family member who was dying did not have this option. They said in the long term, they were able to say goodbye, even when they were against it, when they went through the process of saying goodbye. And a lot of them would have like a family gathering right. where they would celebrate their life and talk about this. And, and then they kind of had, you know, some formality in, in the way it actually ended. They said long-term effects, they did better psychologically and emotionally with it than the ones who had to go through the prolonged illness. Yeah, and so. to see your loved one deteriorate mm-hmm. like that, I'm sure it's not a good, doesn't have good term, good long-term effect. But, um, okay, so we have one more story to cover in, in this segment, and that's about um, a judge in Brooklyn named Michael Gary. As a defense attorney, I think he's a dream. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but what's really up with this guy? He is really out of control. Anyway, he recently sentenced a gang member. The prosecution had offered this gang member, 21-year-old kid, um, 22 years uh, in custody. And Judge Gary said, nope, I'm going to give him three and a half years. Um, I feel that he got affiliated with the gang because he just lacked a family structure growing up, and which might be true. Absolutely. But, but you know, but that's sort of a defense perspective, not something a judge steps in and, and does. So he gives him the three and a half years. He justifies the ridiculous sentence by this kid's lack of family, um, that he went to the gang, you know, to find a family finally for himself. And also, it's such um, a punishment to be deported. And I can tell you that prosecutors and judges don't care at all about my clients getting deported. It's not a factor. <laughs> and, you know, they say, well, you did the crime, you do the time, and then you say bye-bye and get on a plane and you go to your country. And so it's really interesting that Judge Gary says, oh, no, just the fact that he's going to be deported is punishment enough not to be able to live in the United <laughs> States of America. So so he gives him this three-and-a-half uh your sentence where this guy fired a handgun, a .43 caliber um, to two rival gang members and actually there were children around when he did this. Um, so very serious offense and um, and they went back and what I heard was that um, prior to this he had sentenced an ex-con who um, was arrested for a DUI um, I'm sorry, he didn't sentence him he didn't suspend his license, which is what he should have done. So the guy, about a month after his arrest on the DUI, goes out and kills a couple who were driving in a car with their unborn baby. Um, And, you know, I think it was just the safe thing in the protocol to suspend his license. So there are actually consequences because this ju- because of this judge's lackadaisical sort of crazy um, rulings. Um, and then you go back into his her- history further to when he was a DA and he was a prosecutor, and apparently he had falsified um, a document to assist a witness into incriminating a suspect that he was after. So he's kind of got a colorful past and... Um, I don't know, as a former prosecutor, (laughs) 
Well, do you think? <laughs> how do you think he made it? <laughs> That's the big question because as a prosecutor, you know, this attempt to trick a witness into crim- incriminating a suspect. I mean, it was a horrible arson um, case that six firefighters were killed. They suspected arson, and so he kind of acted like a cowboy investigator more than a prosecutor and tried to trick this witness into incriminating himself or incriminating a suspect. But the problem is the the DA can't do that. The, a, pro, a police officer can. A police officer can do whatever they want to do to try and get something and lie to them. They can, you know, set up ruses. Um, but a prosecutor is supposed to stay back, sort of elevated from it, because they're the ones who are pr- presenting the evidence to the um, jury eventually. So the fact that he did that, I'm surprised he didn't get suspended, disciplined, disbarred perhaps there. But instead he goes on to be a judge. On the bench. Yep. On the bench. And <laughs> that case where he let out an ex-con who gets a DUI, let him out without any bail, just said, go home on your own recognizance right there. Mm-hmm. As an ex-con, they should either stay in jail until the case is, you know, pled out or at least be given bail. Let him go home, didn't suspend his driver's mm-hmm. license, like you said. Then he ends up killing two people and an unborn child. At that point, you would think, okay, maybe he doesn't get reelected to the bench. But apparently he is. Right. And now he's sitting there essentially taking this, you know, young gangbanger under his wing, this 21-year-old who fires 11 times at some, you know, rival gang members. But there's two other men sitting right next to him, innocent bystanders, bystanders, and then children in the way. So, you know, I, I get the fact, as a defense attorney, Sarah, <laughs> you would step in and say, hey, look. This poor kid got sucked into this gang. He had no family. The gang was his family. He was trying to work his way up in the gang for respect. Okay, I get all that. And honestly, that is the reason why many of these kids are vulnerable to gangs because they are a pseudo family for them. They give them protection. They give them a sense of um, belonging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the reality of gangs. That is not an excuse to then to then you know defer whatever behavior, horrible behavior, attempted murders or murders that you try to commit to please your family. Okay, that's the kind of thing you say, don't go into the gang. Let's try and prevent it. Let's do things to give them a better structure. And he's saying, well, society failed you. Society didn't do their jobs. Now I'm going to give you a break. Well, you know, society may be, you know, falling down on that, but that is not the reason to excuse us because this kid did something extremely, extremely dangerous. So the fact, I, I hope that people take note of this judge's name. And it's interesting because the other two stories we did were in the headlines. This story I had never heard of until you pointed out it, it was in the um, New York Post. New York Post. And, and, I, and I hope that people will notice his name, Judge Michael Gary. He's in <laughs> Brooklyn. He's a Supreme Court Don't judge. Don't move to Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Think safe. Think about when he comes up for re-election, if this is the kind of judge that you want to be sitting on the bench. Because I, I think just as with the ex-con who got out and um, that ended up killing people, right. this kid, you know, Deportation sometimes falls through. He could be out in a few years, and he could be, you know, still going back to the gang and wanting to please the gang. I mean, every single reason why he did it before is still, you know, going right. to be there to um, encourage him to do it again. There's obviously no deterrence for the very dangerous, violent behavior he yeah, had. Yeah, Homeland Security doesn't uh, work in conjunction with local cor- superior courts. I mean, it's not a, yeah. it's not a federal offense. But also, this judge could have, could have you know, picked a sentence sort of in between. He could have undercut the DA and done something still, you know, substantial so that 
this kid is learning a lesson. Yeah. And then and that the community feels safe and that this judge is doing the right thing. But he really, I mean, three and a half years pales in comparison to, I think, what he should have gotten and also what the what the offer was in the case. Yeah. So anyway, that's it for today's show, I think. Right, Lonnie? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we hope to see you again on Justice is Served. Thank you very much. Producers Maria Menunos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.